Hi. Today we have an episode from 2SER's new podcast, After Me Too: Stories of Social Change. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for After #MeToo. This episode is called Counting Dead Women. Just a heads up. We'll be talking about gendered violence in this episode. If this raises any concerns for you or you just need someone to talk to, give Lifeline a call on 131114. Or if you or someone you know is experiencing gendered or domestic violence, call 1-800-RESPECT. That's 1-800-737-732. Both organizations also have online chat and they're here to help. Okay. Now for the show. I'm Verity Firth. I'm Ollie Henderson, and this is After Me Too: Stories of Social Change. In today's episode, we look at the role that data collection and social media can play in exposing the double standards that still exist when women are murdered. Ollie, how has social media changed the way that we look at these issues? I think it's changed it greatly as it's changed many aspects of the world really. And it also provides a space for people to gather around violence against women as a political issue too. But when it comes to women who are murdered, we can also still learn a lot from traditional news sources. Good afternoon. Friends and family have paid tribute to murdered Tamworth woman Tia Rose Luckwell. The 22-year-old is being remembered as a beautiful girl who'll be dearly missed after being found dead in her Tamworth unit on Wednesday night. If you watch the news or read a newspaper, you might start to see a worrying trend. Friends of the Gnad family are in shock this morning, struggling to comprehend how an alleged murder could play out inside this everyday family home. Women are dying at alarming rates. Not from old age or sickness, but from violence. A bush grave near the banks of the Murray River is where police found the body of Simone Fraser and where she'd been lying for days. 22 years old, a gentle and quiet woman who shined on stage. That's how friends have described Eurydice Dixon, a young comedian pursuing her passion when she was allegedly plucked at random in Princess Park. Last year, 52 women in Australia were killed by violence. Forensics worked through the night collecting evidence. Peter Brown, a 57-year-old charge, 59-year-old campsite, sealing off the entrance before they found In an earlier episode, we talked about how the criminal justice system historically fails victims. And how the system is a traumatizing and painstaking process that makes it near impossible for victims of violence to seek justice. But even before victims attempt to seek redress for the harms committed against them, our laws are already failing them. Harms to men and harms to property have been valued, and that law has found it a bit harder to get around harms that women experience predominantly and children. This is Dr. Jane Wagman. She's a senior lecturer at the Faculty of Law at the University of Technology, Sydney. She's been on our show before, and her research looks at legal responses to violence against women. 
Jane says our laws weren't really built for women. They were written and passed during a different time. A time when it was legal to rape your wife because you were his property. (laughs) And even today, the law is still not adequately addressing harms committed against women. If you want an example, Jane says all you have to do is look at Sydney's lockout laws. For decades, this is where Sydney parted, King's Cross. And then there were two deaths in 2012 and 2013, which changed everything for this precinct. Two young men were king hit, they died, and it started a massive legislative reform which has changed the way that King's Cross operates. These laws are known as the lockout laws. In February 2014, the Sydney lockout laws were introduced by the Government of New South Wales with an objective to reduce alcohol fueled violence. So the lockout laws immediately, you got law reform and action, and yet at the same time, um, the Counting Dead Women campaign was counting the deaths of women every week, and it wasn't having the same sort of immediate reaction in terms of law reform. On January the 3rd, Margaret Indick, 38, died in hospital of injuries sustained at her home in Cloverdale. Her unnamed partner, 40, attempted to deny paramedics access to treat her and left the scene before police arrived. He was arrested hours later and has been charged with murder. January 11, Antonia Tatchell, 43, found dead by her 17-year-old son at her home in Brunswick. Number three, January 12, British backpacker Amelia Blake died of extensive died of extensive injuries, including head injuries, in a suspected murder suicide. Number four. four. January 24. The body of Nancy Barclay was found after police were called to her home in Alexander Heights. Five. Five. January 25. Nara Katib, 61, was found with stab wounds. Six. January 27. An unnamed woman was stabbed to death at home in Hallam. An unnamed man presented himself to... Radmila Stefanovic, 65, was found dead by police. Sally Roth. 54, was found dead with extensive injuries. Nine. Nine. Lee Lee, 77, died Ten. in hospital. Maria Karovska, 51, was run over and killed. 11, an unnamed woman. 12, Kerry Keith. 13, the body of Catherine Daly. 14, the body of Simone Fraser. 15, the body of an unnamed woman. An unnamed woman. The body of an unnamed woman. Was discovered at a residence on Sunny Bray Circuit. Well, the patriarchy has a lot to answer for. This is Jenna Price. She's a senior lecturer in journalism at the University of Technology, Sydney. There's a big safety gap. There is a uh, huge sexual harassment gap. So women are treated much more poorly. um, And that is true in workplaces. It's true in the home. And uh, if you're thinking about who's a victim of violence, it's mainly women. Jenna wanted to do something about it, so she got in touch with some people online who felt the same, and together they formed a Facebook group called Destroy the Joint, appropriating that name from the talkback radio announcer, Alan Jones. Alan Jones meant that women were destroying the patriarchy. How awesome is that? And we think we're destroying the patriarchy. Not really. It's hard to do. You can't do it just in a Facebook group. You can't make social change as that being the only action. But it does provide a gathering place for people to think about the way the world speaks about women and the way the world deals with women. So that's what we do. This new internet community, along with Jenna, then started a project, Counting Dead Women. 
Counting Dead Women actually began in England. There's a fantastic woman called Karen Ingala-Smith. And we were thinking about a way of trying to focus Australian media on fatal violence against women. And we thought of lots of different ideas and, um, and you know, ways we could do it. And I came across Counting Dead Women UK and I thought, I just want to copy this. It's so good. But I didn't feel comfortable about ripping off someone's campaign, so I rang her and said, we're Australian, we'd really love to do the same thing. And she said, go for it. Now, we have a different way of doing it. So she only counts women who've died at the hands of men, as far as you can tell. We count every fatal victim of violence, every female uh, victim of violence, because in many cases, women kill other women, or in the very few cases where it happens, women kill other women, because there's a man involved. There's some kind of lateral violence that's happening. And unlike the media and legislative attention given to violence committed against men, Jenna found that the media and public tend to ignore female victims. The reason that we started Counting Dead Women was there was almost no public recognition of these deaths. So if a man in Sydney dies as a result of being whacked in the head at the pub, so the one-punch thing, national outcry, let's have laws against one-punch, let's shut down the pubs, let's shut down the music scene you know, catastrophe. Jenna says violence is a part of the everyday lived experience for Australian women. Women are dying at least one a week in Australia, but, uh, you know, as bad as that is the fact that we know from the figures that every three hours a woman is hospitalised in Australia as a result of family violence. And that's pretty a huge number. When I did my research about that, the fascinating thing was the researchers said to me, hey, every three hours a year, that's true, that's what we can see, but we also know that this is wildly underreported. So they think it's about every 90 minutes a woman ends up in hospital as a result of family violence. And this systemic and constant threat comes back to one thing. This is something that happens to women every day. It's endemic. While the lack of media attention and the laws that fail to protect women like they protect men make this an even more pressing issue, for Jenna, the reason fatal violence is so preventable is the reason she started Destroy the Joint in the first place. There will be less violence when we have um, less patriarchy. And I just need everyone to recognise that patriarchy does not mean men. Patriarchy is a system of power and turns out to be a system of abuse of power. Fatal violence against women is the sharpest and most horrific expression of patriarchy. It's the, the final expression of how patriarchy kills women. It's the the final straw. And so if you're part of the group that benefit from a culture where women are afraid, and that's what we have to change. 16. March 28. Tia Rose Luckwell, 22. 17. Kay Dix has been found dead at a McCann suburb of Trinity Beach. 18. An unnamed woman, 62, has died after being stabbed multiple times at Charles Camp Alice Springs. An unnamed man, 55, believed to be the woman's partner... Has 19, April 29, Cecilia Haddad, 38, was last seen alive on Friday, April 27. She last 20, with friends by April 30. An unnamed woman, 46, was found with severe head injuries at her home in Albury. She later died... Debbie Combango, 37, died after being found with serious chest injuries from a stabbing just after 2pm. She was taken from a property in McGregor Street, Wilsonton, Toowoomba, in a critical condition. Katrina's mother, Cinder At the time of recording, 41 women have died as a result of violence this year. 
but there'll probably be another one next week. Dead of gunshot wounds outside the home. 41. 41. 41. Hello, I'm Verity, and I'm back in the studio with our producer, Ollie Henderson. Hi, Verity. Well, that was pretty sobering. Um, yeah, not easy listening. But I, what I liked about this episode is it does show the impact that Counting Dead Women had. And what I love about that project is it's not like there's anything new. These are just simply reporting statistics the power of social media meant that those statistics about the sheer number of women who die every year at the hands of their partner or men who allegedly love them um, is so enormous. And these figures are now able to be spread far and wide. And I think that is really the power of social media and, and the power of the work that Jenna Price has done. Absolutely. Like, look at the Me Too movement. It's absolutely changed the world. That's right. However, unlike Counting Dead Women, there aren't a lot of websites. Well, in fact, it was very difficult to find easily accessible statistics around violence against transgender people in our community. Yeah, I'm not really surprised. I feel like trans and non-binary people are often a really overlooked group of people. I think even within making this podcast, we could have done a lot better to be more inclusive. I think even some of the language that we've used being really binary, it contributes to that kind of erasure. Yeah, I think you're right. And now, I know you just said it's really hard to find stats, but did you manage to find any? Yeah, yeah, we did. So it's hard to find stat statistics around fatal violence, mm. but it is getting better. There is definitely more research being put into this as an issue. Um, there's a recent Australian study by Smith et al., which explicitly looked at trans and gender diverse young people. It's very disturbing. It found that 25% of trans and gender diverse young people aged between 14 and 25 years experienced verbal or physical abuse at home, wow. which is just awful. Um, there's been some really good statistical research done in both the US and in the UK. In the UK this year, the organisation Stonewall released a report um, that showed us, again, disturbing statistics, but it's good that it's being reported. Two in five trans people had to deal with a hate crime or incident in the last 12 months. Wow. It's shown us that more than a quarter of trans people in a relationship in the last year have faced domestic violence against a partner, by a partner. One in eight trans employees, which is 12%, have been physically attacked by colleagues or customers in the last year, which I thought was extremely disturbing. And that Hate crime against trans people is significantly underreported. You know, most trans people, four out of five, simply don't report it to the police. And some trans people who report a hate crime don't feel supported by the police or experience even further discrimination once they've made that report. So there is a long way to go. Um, having said that, one of the US websites made the point that, yes, of course, data is important. Data is important for public policy. Data is important for education and outreach. But at the end of the day, it's also how you treat trans survivors, you know, the power that each of us have to believe their stories, to provide support and to and to culturally change how what it is that we do. So the violence facing trans communities is a barometer of society's failure to address stigma and discrimination. Mm. And linked to that, of course, is about the 
the underreporting in the mainstream media, the way the mainstream media treats this violence. Violence against trans women in particular is rarely talked about, and yet this is a group that is most disproportionately affected by violence. Yeah, I think adding to that, the media also needs to be really careful when they are reporting about this kind of violence, because sometimes it can do more damage than good in the language that they use, for example. So there was a recent conversation article by Annie Glatchford, who's a PhD student at Melbourne University, where she talks about how research analysing the problems with media reporting of violence against women Mm -hmm. has come up with some really some good guidelines about how media should actually report these cases. And so combined with the Australia Press Council and, of course, with the Our Watch guidelines, these are the sorts of things that traditional media should do. Mm -hmm. They should contextualise the story with statistics or expert comment about violence against women. So they should provide that extra bit of information. They should label the incident for what it was. In other words, domestic violence. They should humanise the story and, if possible, give a name to the victim. If relevant and legal, they should report on the perpetrator's previous violence or history of violence. And they should include domestic violence helplines. Well, I hope we've been able to achieve all those things here. I hope we have too. Yeah. This podcast was made on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. This episode was a collaboration between the Centre of Social Justice and Inclusion from the University of Technology, Sydney, and 2SER 107.3. Our producers are Nina Copel, Miles Herbert and Ollie Henderson. And a big thanks to Laurel Oxley from the Centre. If you liked the show, show us some love on 2SER.com or if you're listening to us via your favourite podcast app, subscribe and leave us a review. 